I'm Kate Daniels. I so believe in each of us living our life's purpose, and so it's very exciting to have Ed Hagem join us today to talk about this very subject in the context of his new book, The Island of the Four Ps, just so ideal for young people, for students, for persons in transition. Let's have Ed provide some insights. Ed Hagem, good morning, and thank you so greatly for joining us once again. Oh, thank you for having me. It's always fun talking to you. Well, you are so much inspiration, and uh, you do so much in the world based on your life, taking the experiences that happened to you instead of saying, oh, you know, life was just giving me hard knocks and therefore that's all I can accomplish. No, with your first book, when we first met, actually it was just over a year ago, which, uh, you know, was great fun to talk about the road less traveled. Here it is, you know, just over a year later, we're talking again with a new book, great new book, The Island of the Four Peas, a modern fable about preparing for your future. So here was another journey that you took. Let's talk about this journey as to getting to writing this book. Actually, Kate, this was the first book that I wrote, and I wrote it in two and a half years ago. I really wanted to write a book like Who Moved My Cheese or The Alchemist, a fable which people could read. And when I got, I got it finished, I ran into a young woman who said, you've got to write your autobiography first. And so I did that. It took two or three, four years to write my autobiography. And then I had to go back to this book and rewrite it. But what I wanted to do is I wanted to write a book. Because if you look, I was always fascinated as a young man uh, by the ideas communicated by fables. And one goes back, I mean, it's presumptuous to say it's like the Bible, but the Bible has a whole series of fables. And there's Ace of Fables and Gulliver's Travels and Don Quixote and then modern Dr. Seuss. These are all ideas that are communicated by fables because they're, they're more universal and they're easier to digest, I would say. As one woman said when she reviewed my book, she said, it's not preachy. It brings people to... I mean, Christopher Morley said something which really excites me about this book. He said, basically, the real purpose of a book is to trap the mind into doing its own thinking. And I must admit, I wish I had seen this quote beforehand because I would have put it into my book. That's what I'm trying to do, is to give people a framework so they can do their own thinking, give them some principles to base their decisions on, and also to go back and look at it again. And in the book, there's eight words that, that I keep bringing up. One is self, family, work, and community. Those are the four what I call buckets of life or realms of life. And then there's the four Ps which you pour into those buckets, passions, principles, partners, and plans. And I'll stop there, Kate, because you can, I will go on and on. If you <laughs> <laughs> well, we want to kind of go on and on because this is so critically important. And I feel the world is in just such dire need of having some really, I'm going to say, simple guidance. Because this is one of those conundrums. It's simple but it is very profound. But you're breaking it down, as you just did with these eight key words. So making it in such a way that really allows people to look at it, but make it personal. You're not saying this is what you must do, but like you said, guiding people to find out what it is for themselves. Each individual is unique, and these eight words will help you learn about yourself. In fact, as I, as I wrote this book, I realized, just think about this for a second, this may be a really a way out idea, but yourself is made up of genes in which you have no control whatsoever, all right? And 
really, in many respects, you, yourself is, is a function of those genes and the environment you're in for the first 18 or 25 years. Most of those years, you have no control over. So theoretically, you know, until you get to be late teens, when you start to control your own fate, you really have no control over who you are. It's really a very interesting question. And I, I bring this up because as a 17 or 18-year-old, I was angry because I had this terrible childhood, and I was always asking myself, why me? And I started to realize I had to control that anger because it was not a good idea. But up until that point, I had no control over it because it was part of me. It was part of my background. So I, I find that even that idea, saying to yourself, you know, look, let's look at our genes. and Look at mom and dad and grandpa and grandma and maybe Uncle Harry and little Aunt Matilda. And then look at how we grew up. Did we grow up in a community where we had mom and dad? We went to the same school until we were 18 years old, lived in the same neighborhood. Or we like Ed Hagem, who lived in 15 or 20 different places. I mean, those make different kinds of people. And you have to recognize that these experiences you go through affect you and affect self. And then, of course, I can talk about the other three buckets of life. But to me, that's those, just simply giving people a framework and starting to write those things down. You can find out some things you can improve and some things you can utilize. I mean, self tells you a lot about your passions. You know, what are you good at? What do you really like to do? You know, and what's out there, too, as well. So, again, I'll stop again, Kate, and get to one of your good questions rather than ramble on again. Well, your rambling is a very good thing. It provides so many insights and from your life, your experiences, which really have been so great because as you said you had this very very tumultuous childhood and it couldn't help but make you an angry young man I mean I think you'd have to be a saint to maybe not have that happen but you didn't let it go down that path you know when we're talking about going That's exactly right, right? I mean, a little thing like just developing a mantra for yourself somewhere along the line in my early 20s I think I came to the conclusion that I should never be a victim that's a, and put that on a wall. You'll never be a victim. No matter what happens, whether it's your fault or not your fault, just go on to find what's next. Use your energy. Instead of being a victim, use your energy to decide what's next. And I can give you perfect examples in my life that I just went on. I didn't say, oh, this is terrible. I'm going to fight this. No, let's find out what's next. Let's use that energy instead of hating somebody or a situation. Let's use it in determining what's next and go after what's next. And a couple of chances in my life really changed my life by making that decision. So my background was terrible. I did live in orphanages and foster homes and so forth. But then I've come to the conclusion that many of those disadvantages became advantages. I mean, if you live in 15 or 20 different places, you end up being very adaptable. So when I talk to people who come from foster homes and things, I say, by the way, you have an advantage. And think about it. You're more flexible than someone maybe who was in one neighborhood and lived happily ever after. So you know, it, it isn't all bad. And so people said to me, well, you know, I can't put my children in an orphanage. What am I going to do with them? I said, well, basically in the summertime, make sure you, know, you make them uncomfortable. Send them to Outward Bound or, or Knowles, a national outdoor leadership school. Or have them work in a, in a hospital or have them, have them travel. But have them do things where they are on their own and, you know, they have to make their own, own bed, so to say. Exactly. Have unique experiences. Now, we can also say, because this book is so great, I think even beginning with junior high school, which is a really important age, but through junior high, through high school, college graduates, uh, you know, mature adults like myself, all of us can really start to grow further from where we are at this moment. And this book can be used as that wonderful guide. 
That's exactly it's, it's for it's, it's focused probably on 15 to 25 year olds, but anybody in transition, I think it would help people changing jobs, changing life. You know, I think it would help you to go back and look look over these 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 eight words and go through each one of them and try to figure out how they apply to you. So yes, but I, you know, my life was changed when I was 17 when I got a scholarship, and so that's where I'm focusing. Like grab grab a hold of those kids that are 17 or 18 years old. And my all my plans will be directed at scholarships and have, have them not only get a scholarship, that, which will change their lives, but also start to focus on, you know, how to direct their lives, how to get control of who they are and, you know, what they want to do. I mean, it's very important. And if you find that out, you'll find people that, you know, I, went, I can quote, those people who find out early are very lucky. I mean, Tiger Woods, you know, at three years old, he wanted to play golf, you know, and Ben Clyburn, he wanted to play the piano. So that's fine. Most of us have a more difficult set of choices. And it's not so easy. So we have to sort of study our passions and decide what principles we have and then figure out what partners we're going to have to put together to make the job right. I find in today's world, given technology, in fact, probably this radio broadcast, we couldn't do this without some technology person in the background helping you and I out, I'm sure. Right. Absolutely. Yes. And, you know, at this moment, let's just take a pause to... Talk a little about your philanthropy and providing the scholarships that you do for the young people and what that looks like and what you hear back from them. Well, this is, you know, I, it's my four parts of life is, you know, self-work, family work, and what I call communities giving back. And I think that if you're going to live a full life, I think you unfortunately have to do all four of those things because the giving back part is very, very satisfying. I mean, one of my scholarship students, and she weighs 100 pounds, and she's five foot tall, and she's now a Ph.D. in optical engineering. She has her MBA in business on the side. She's now married, and she's a concert pianist and a concert violinist. And she stood up in front of a bunch of people and said, you know, what's for you, Mr. Hageman? I wouldn't be here. And, you know, that's all you need in your life. You know what? You do one of those, and it's enough. I have a couple, three hundred kids in scholarships. And, in fact, actually, I'm changing my scholarship focus. I'm still keeping my academic scholarships, but I'm starting to – help out in doing what I call vocational scholarships or professional scholarships. I, I'm founder of a golf club here in Nantucket, and we give scholarships every year. And we give an academic scholarship for the last 20 years. Also, five years ago, we started to give vocational scholarships. We found the kids in the high school, most of them didn't go to college. Half of them didn't go to college. So we started saying we're going to offer scholarships for nurses, for marine engineers. And one young man wanted to be a chef. We found out that you go to Johnson Wells, it's forty or $50,000. A year, it's like going to Harvard almost. So we had to give this fellow a scholarship. And he's so excited about going off and being a chef that he spent the whole summer in the kitchen at the golf club because he wanted to learn how to cook and perfect his profession. So I just focused myself on that particular arena. Now, everybody has different charity. If your, your parents died of cancer or, or some other horrible disease, like friends of mine who have been supporting Alzheimer's research, you're going to focus on that. But for me, I think education is the solution, solution to everything. And therefore, I'm going to try to do my best to give young people that next step in education. And I must admit, I'm very excited about this mini crusade in what I call vocational or professional education. I gave the graduation speech at the Keys Community College in Key West. And just looking at those kids, 60 nurses, a bunch of divers, marine engineers, marine biologists, public safety workers. One woman wanted to be a policeman. She made everybody cry. woman with two children, and she said, the only thing I wanted to be was a public safety officer. She got training down there in that particular area. My philanthropy has been pushed. I started very early doing this because I found that at the Westchester Community College, giving a small amount of money allowed kids to have books they wouldn't have. And then from there, you know, I got 
captured by letters that I got a whole small drawer full of letters from kids that, that thank me for what they've done and so forth. And they, their lives have been changed. And so if you change one person's life, you, you've done something really good. You change a lot of people's lives. It's very, very satisfying. Oh, yes. There's that ripple effect. There are tens of thousands, if not millions of lives that ultimately are changed because of one person doing something differently, changing the tangent here, and off it goes. Well, I got a letter from a lady said her daughter was not going to college. She read my book, and now she's a freshman at Notre Dame. That's enough. That pays for the book, too. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, truly. It's a very bad business, selling books. (laughs) Yeah, you're not going to necessarily get rich over that. No, you're not. You're no man. I really applaud you for recognizing the vocational aspect of education because not everyone needs or wants a university education. And doesn't our world need vocations? All these other professions that you mentioned, the, the nurses and the bus drivers or the, the, the marine... The plumbers and the electricians. And the, yes. By the way, the, the computer technician who... In the morning, if you're not feeling well and your computer's not working, who do you want to see first, your doctor or your computer technician? <laughs> Ask that question. You call him up, he or she comes over and fixes your computer, you can now operate. So and we need people like that. So that's one of the things we're sort of progressing on right now. So excellent. And of course, it fits right into the island of the four Ps to find where your passion is. You may yeah. just really like that young woman wanting to be a policewoman. That's her passion. You don't want to say, no, 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 you have to uh, go to university and you have to get a law degree or you have to be a doctor. It doesn't work that way. No, and you can do it quicker. These kids get out of school in two years and they have jobs right away. Down where we are in the Keys, there's a hospitality group that every time a person graduates from the hospitality section, they get a job right away. And, you know, of course, nurses are just in total demand. That's absolutely a necessity. And we had one young lady who's been a nurse this year. Her mother was a nurse, and her grandmother was a nurse. So she's got it in her blood. And she's also a champion swimmer. So we always found a place for her where she could go and profess her two passions. One is being a nurse, the other is being a swimmer. So it's joyful. We're going to change the word for vocational to professional, because these are professions. When you're a, yes. a chef or you're a, you're a professional, vocational has this sort of lower-level experience to it, and I think that's wrong. I think these kids are are basically pursuing something that they're really interested in. That makes me all excited. Absolutely. And for the parents, for teachers to realize, too, to be able to recognize what that talent, what that passion is, and to guide them toward where the education is. And then philanthropists like you come along if they're needing some funding and some financial support to make that happen. In, In today's world, by the way, a lot of kids don't know the things that they can do. Uh, that's one of the things I want. I want young people to explore, you know, industries that don't exist in it, that need vocational or professional help. There are a whole new whole area of, you know, computer technicians that was, wasn't there 30 years ago. Now it's required. There are whole areas that need to be helped out. You know, an engineer on a normal job will have three or four or five helpers that were helping him. And some will do work that he can't do. So I think those are things we have to keep doing. And so teachers have to sort of say, is there something else that this student can do? that he or she really wants to do. And so I think that's one of the next steps we're sort of working on now is is to open up whole new areas. You know, schools now that are training very unique capabilities. But but you still have to, those who want to go to college, we still want to make sure that that they also get a chance to go and there's enough funding for them to go to, you know, all the great colleges in America. Yes, because every single aspect is important and of value. So we need to impart that. So. 
I'm wondering, has there been any discussion of this book, The Island of the Four Peas, being used in school, in maybe junior high, but through high school into college, as that guidance and foundation to help young kids? This is not necessarily something, unless they have wise teachers and wise parents, it may not even come on the radar to really be thinking about this and and working with it within ourselves. You and I are right on the same path. We, we actually completed a course this year at the University of Rochester called Life's Design. Twenty freshmen took the course, and this book and one other book were the references for it. Okay. And I've been pushing to other places to use this book as a reference because this book and, and my life, you know, uh, given what I've done, uh, I've been one of these rather unusual people that you know didn't have a good background but really was an engineer, a naval officer. I worked in Wall Street for 50 years. And, you know, then eventually gave up, uh, you know, work and really concentrated on philanthropy for the last 15 or 20 years. I'm just hoping that the book will take people and say anything is possible. If this character can do it, I can do it. And so I'm working on a life design course. Stanford has one already. Harvard has one. But I think almost every school should say to a freshman or a senior in high school, we're not only interested in giving you academic capabilities. We're interested in you. That's a whole new message. I think that I want students to get the idea of the particular school is interested in you. We want you to find out what you want to do. And we need so much of that. Before we actually started this conversation we're having, I had mentioned to you about feeling that so much of our younger generation is just drifting. Some older might be as well, but just noticing the young people and it feels so heartbreaking that it feels like their lives are just wasting away. They're just this life is precious and they're letting it just go, you know, down the sewer, basically. So I think if we started maybe in schools to plant the seeds of this that was relevant to the age, maybe kids would not just give up and walk away and get into some very negative passions. Yeah, yeah that is exactly what we're trying to do. We're trying to give people insight into what they can do. Because I believe that if people find things that they can do, They'll be much happier and productive. But they all of a sudden, you know, they find that they can't do anything. They get to a school and nothing really works for them. But nobody spent time with them saying, what do you really want to do? What can you do? And everybody can do something. There's always something out there that you can do. They have to find it for you, and you've got to give you a picture of it, say this is how you can make a living, and this is how you can basically contribute. And I think that's there. They just you have to find it. When a young person finds out there's nothing that they can do, then they do start to, as you say, start to go into a downward spiral. But I'm hoping if they ask themselves these questions, that basically they can come up with something. And here again, as I develop this thing, I think that more and more people will become examples of having found themselves and on their way. And I do believe that having a split in education, everything doesn't have to be you know, college. It can be you know, a vocational school, a technical school, you know, even an apprenticeship that they have in Europe. You know. But more, more training. I think you found anybody and said, I'm going to train you to be this if you really like doing that. And if they like doing it, they'll be productive. To open up the world that here are options, not to feel that things are a dead end, and have someone to guide them along as to how to make this possible, that there are scholarships, that there are ways to really accomplish this and not feel like, well, it, no, it's not possible for me. No, you, you got to send a message, and I send a message. There's more opportunity now than there ever has been in the history of the world. You know, when I graduated, when my wife graduated from college, she could be a nurse, 
or a teacher, or she could be a secretary. And she wasn't tall enough to be a stewardess, you know. So that was the end of the world. And, you know, when I graduated, there, was, there wasn't many scholarships. I mean, there were two or three scholarships when I graduated high school. And there was a lot of prejudice, too. Now there's, there's a very little prejudice, and there's, very, there's a lot of scholarships. And there are a lot of different schools as well. So and then the opportunity is unlimited today, given the fact that when I, when I graduated school, the international market was not available. It was all domestic. It was all the United States. Now, any kind of a business you're in or any kind of a product you're selling, you have the whole world to sell it to. Right. I guess then be a mentor. This book, too, is that, I think, in a form to read this and feel that they are being mentored through it and then to maybe find an actual mentor in their own community. Kate, you're right on. I mean, there's been studies done, and I've convinced that. I'm, I'm involved in a group in Boston that mentors kids from foster homes. And what they do is they, these kids go to Harvard and, and MIT and Tufts and places like that, but when they get a scholarship, they sign up with this group called Wiley, W-I-L-Y, and they're assigned to a counselor. They obviously come from foster homes. Their own homes are not very good. They must talk to the counselor once a week. Mentoring has been proving to be the answer. One of the things they ask me is, how did you do it? I said, basically, you have to have somebody who believes in you. And even though my father abandoned me three or four times before I was 18, he believed in me. And then along the way, I had other people who believed in me or were willing to mentor me. So you've just come across one of the magic words in success, which is finding a mentor of some kind, finding someone who will believe in you, who basically will pay attention to you, will help you along. It's a necessity. There have been studies shown that this changes school. The Houston school study that showed that they – hired a bunch of mentors from the lowest 20% of the high schools, and it turns out that it just changed the whole dynamic. We did this in Rochester with a East High School. We took it over and added people to it and just changed, changed the whole mentality. Kids started graduating, started getting jobs. You know, you really can do it, but you need someone really who believes in you. This group in Boston, each counselor has 10 students, and the, 10, the students must talk to them. Now, you just think about this. When COVID came, these kids had no place to go, but they had Wiley. And while they put them all over the place, you know, put them with families, put them in hotel rooms, they had no place to go. And so this was a, a really necessary service. And that's, there, are, there are a number of these organizations throughout the country today. And that's where it fits into the third P, partners. That's what the people are, the partners. And partners, some of the partners are advisors and mentors. Exactly right. They're, they're different kinds of partners. I have had partners that can do things that I can't do, which is very important because there are things that I won't, can't do. Second, there are people who do things better than I can do. And then the third part, partner, which people don't realize is good, having a partner who, who you do something really well, but you don't like to do it. So if you get those three kinds of partners, either in one person or in three people or four people, you end up doing things you like to do that you do well. And that's basically what my ultimate goal was. And I found a person halfway through my career, and I never let him out of my sight. We worked together for 35 years because he did all the things that I couldn't do and didn't do well. And essentially, mentors help you. A mentor is another kind of partner. But you have to find those kind of partners that will help you, and the kind of partners who will mentor you, and the partners also who just not an expression who will be your friend. I argue with a lot of my college friends. I say, find a friend. Find someone who will really want to pay attention to you throughout your entire lifetime. And I know this because I had a friend like that. And he basically... We were in the Navy together. You know, we were engineers together. We went to business school together. We worked together. And he unfortunately passed away. But in his last year, he was more interested in me than he was in his own problems. Mm -hmm. And he was my friend. Yes. 
That is so beautiful. And sometimes it might take another P, persistence, to find who that well, is in your life. There's a bunch of P's that, that come after this. And, and I, you know, I'd probably write the next book, the next four P's. Is, you know, persistence. But persistence is, is something, I think you can put that in, in, the, in the principles. You know, you, I, I try to conclude everything. In, you know, each, each of these four P's can be expanded. But persistence is in principles. But the, the, the other P's that comes is pleasure, purpose, and peace. And I think you get that from the right plans. <laughs> uh-huh. You get the right plans. You can have pleasure. You can basically develop a purpose through your plans. And then finally, the ultimate goal, of course, is peace. And they're all peace. I don't know why they're all peace, but they just came that way. Who knows? But the thing is, that's just the way they are. And I love the fact that there is the P that is peace, because I feel that if each of us were to live our life's purpose and follow these plans and principles, then ultimately we would end up at peace. We would not have to have all the conflict and strife that exists in our world. That's absolutely true. If you, again, if you find your passion and you, it meets with your principles, you find the right partners, and you develop a plan in order to pursue those passions and principles, you should end up getting a purpose and having peace. And it should be pleasurable. Now, again, the, in my book, too, I, I lay out this just enough principle. Very important. One of the ways you get off the track is you try to do too much of any, any one thing, too much money, too much fame, even too much love. You can't, people say you can't have too much love. You can have too much love. You can be in love with yourself and your family, and you miss out on other things and have to use energy for it. But just enough is a principle I want to get across to people. It's developed by a professor at Harvard, and I think it's a really important concept. And I, in my life, again, when I was 72, I pivoted completely away from work toward philanthropy. I think I probably pivoted a little bit late, but it was a time when I felt that I could contribute totally. You'll see the other people in the world do the same thing. Mitch Romney really quit work and, and contributed himself to, to public service. So the idea that you can pivot away from things, and, but you do that by sitting down and say, what are my passions now? Have they changed? What new principles do I have? What partners do I need? Keep asking those questions. Principles are fun because people ask me, what's my principle now? Principles very simple. At my age, it's gratitude. And I try to thank someone every week. That's very important that you thank people. Well, one of my friends he called up his 98-year-old second-grade teacher, and I guess they both started crying that he wanted to thank her for what she did for him. One of my new principles is gratitude. I came upon it probably 20 years ago. It continues to become more and more important in my life. That's why you write it down. And, you know, you change your principles as time goes on. Some principles you never change. The golden rule you never change. You know, those things. But some principles you have to change because you change. Well, I, for one, just totally appreciate who you are and how you have really created your life, became aware of doing that, have done that, and continue to do it. But in the course of that, wanting to share that, that sharing that gift is so important for us. And with this book, The Island of the Four Peas, it's such a great graduation gift. Well, we are kind of past graduation, but I believe it's beyond that, that this is a great book for young people to, they need a summer read, a summer focus. This is a great summer book. Thank you, Kate. Now, the two graduations which I spoke at, they gave the book out to all the graduates. I've gotten just terrific feedback from young people saying, no, it really was important to read the book. So, And thank you for that, Kate. I appreciate it. I want to find out whether this book is going to catch on. If it catches on, I might even take it to the next step, which would be some kind of an animated film or even a video game where nobody gets shot. (laughs) 
Okay, now you're talking, Ed. Absolutely. <laughs> you should seriously consider that. Just because... I'm, I'm, it, it's got to catch on. It's got People like you have to, have to say things. People got to pick it up. It's got to sell. I don't make any money. I lose money on every book. But the idea catches on, then I'm going to take it to the next step because I think it'd be a fun animated film. And it might even be fun. I mean, you could see him going to the Village of Passions and having the ability to look at any possible industry. You know, you could see an animated film where he goes in and looks at the, at the people playing music and the people in the chemistry lab and the people, you know, in the circus and so forth. So, you know, this would be a fun thing where you could, and also in the video game, you could press up any industry you wanted to press up to, to find it out. So we'll have some fun with that. If, if the catches on, I'm going to wait a year or so and see whether or not, you know, people really like the idea. Because a fable, some fables catch on and some don't. So we'll see. Well, for this fable, I feel its presence actually as a book in a classroom setting is what will really impact a lot of kids at differing times, probably, but nevertheless, really can have an impact. And I think there's such a great need for it. Thank you, Kate. Thank you. Thank you. You're making my day. (laughs) Well, along with you, I want to make the world a better place. And when we look around and aren't sure how to do that, and then something like this comes along, a book that is so readable and just really outlines things, and it's like a workbook, but it's the story, I feel that there's a great solution here. By the way, there's an audio version, which is two and a half hours, and the woman was very good. She used six voices. It's the first time she'd ever used more than two voices. So that's kind of fun. If you're a listener rather than a reader, this is really one of the ways to do it. Absolutely. Well, Ed, hey, Jim, time just slips away too quickly, and you have so many great stories to share. I really appreciate your sharing your time with us this morning and encourage everyone to get to your favorite bookstore and get a copy of The Island of the Four Peas. Kate, thank you. It's always my pleasure.